Today we will hear a parable of Jesus which talks about the topic that many Christians struggle with and strive for. That's the topic of a prayer. To illustrate this uncomfortable, open, wild landscape of a prayer, I borrowed today's title, Quagmire of a Prayer, from a relatively well-known TV crime drama, Longmire. Uh, why do I connect the sermon title to TV dramas? I'm guessing just like Jesus used common life experiences to reveal divine truth, I hope my tweaking of well-known TV shows help us to remember the lessons that we are learning. So first week, I talked about Grace Anatomy. Last week, Law and Pretender. Today is Quagmire. Uh, By the way, anybody know the Long Mire, the TV series? Okay. Oh, only one hand? Okay. I didn't know much, but somebody asked me, and so I just checked uh, one quick episode, and I like it because uh, the main character, Walt Longmire, a charismatic and dedicated sheriff in Wyoming, he patrols his uh, county with a brave faith, face and a sense of humor. But deep inside, he hides the pain of his wife's recent death. He does his job while wrestling with his own issues and by help of a few good friends, he slowly but surely puts his life back together and carries out his vocation as a lawman. The reason I like uh, Longmire and, and uh, connecting to our prayer is that he's not a clean-cut cartoon hero. He is a realistic, conflicted, vulnerable, wounded hero. And that's sometimes a prayer. Prayer is simple, yet profound. Prayer is a divine, yet most human. Prayer is a noble, yet most neglected. Prayer is encouraged a lot, but practice or exercise very, very few. So I think a prayer and quagmire go together. You know, quagmire is the uh, is the term for the soggy landscape, like a swamp and the marshland. And if any one of us are struggling with the prayer life or praying, today's text is for you. By the way, uh, I can resist another temptation about my socks because our church member gave me socks last year uh, to appreciate the pastors. So today, socks, I want to show you. I hope you can see. The socks on the sloth. You know, it's a sloth. No, the animal sloth. You remember Zootopia? The, the DMB guy, the sloth? I don't know, somebody, why they gave me this uh, a sock with a sloth? Are you trying to tell me I'm lazy, I'm slow, or I have no idea, but one thing I know, many people feel the prayer life is slow. And uh, nothing wrong about slow, but there sometimes we feel like it's a quagmire, we can get out of it, we just, you know, each step is digging deeper into doubt and despair. And today, I want to share with you how to cross the quagmire of a prayer, quagmire of a prayer, or this very sinking sand of a prayer. And for that, we need to have three stepping stones 
that we can use to cross the quagmire. Today's text begins in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, in this way. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John the Baptist taught his disciples. I'm so glad that somebody asked Jesus how to teach, because that's what would I ask. I feel confident over all my life, except the prayer. And the Gospel of Luke present Jesus is a praying Messiah. More than any gospel, Luke is a gospel of a prayer. And constantly, he shows us Jesus really embodied prayer. Prayer to Jesus is like a breathing. So natural. For instance, Jesus spent all night on the hill before he called the twelve. And then Jesus you know, also, while he was praying on the top of the mountain, that's when he was transfigured. Jesus also told Simon they pray for him that his face will not fail. And one of my favorite is that Jesus went to Mount Gethsemane as a, his a habit, as a usual. And then Luke is actually only gospel that tells that Jesus prayed for those who are crucifying him on the cross. And that Jesus actually, last one, was praying to Father to, and to give his life. So in the Gospel of Luke, is a Gospel of prayer. And in the parables, we'll see another, uh, prayer of, uh, another parables about prayer in a couple of months, I mean, a month from now. So today, I want to share with you the three stepping stones to overcome quagmire prayer. Let me give you just the three words quickly and then those of you taking a note. First one is a perspective prayer. Second one, perseverance. And third one is a promise. So pers uh, perspective, perseverance, and the promise. The first stepping stone is so-called a perspective of prayer. I think this is a more than first, uh, first stepping stone. It's a cornerstone to which every other stepping stone must be connected. That one comes from verse 2 to 4, and this is a famous Lord's Prayer. For that, I want us to read together. Are we ready? Let's read together. One, two, three. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Jesus gave us what he called the Lord's Prayer. Some people say it's not actually Lord's Prayer, it's the disciples' prayer. Regardless, I want to say this. Jesus didn't give this prayer out of blue. We should always remember, Jesus came out of a Jewish tradition. He's a faithful Jew. He's a perfect Jew. This prayer... Actually, this Lord's Prayer is a Jesus' radical revision of a traditional, tra traditional Jewish prayer called the Amida. The Amida. Amida is a Hebrew word for prayer. It was a very common prayer back then. It's known as 18 benedictions. Even today, when you go to synagogue on the Friday, the Sabbath worship, they recite this prayer, long, very long. Sometimes they shorten. There are many versions. 
And uh, I want to highlight this uh, radical nature and some key features of uh, Jesus' Lord's Prayer along with the uh, Abita Prayer. And I want you to see that uh, once again, only Jesus can say this kind of radical revision of a common, popular Jewish prayer. So first thing, first radical thing about Lord's Prayer is the fatherhood of God. Let me show you what the Abita prayer was. Abita prayer starts this way. Bless you, Adonai. They don't say Yahweh. They just you know, replace any time Adonai with the Lord. Our God and the God of our forefathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, the great, mighty, awesome God, the supreme God who bestows a beneficial kindness and creates everything, who calls the kindness of a patriarchs and brings a redeemer to their children's children for his name's sake with love. O King, Helper, Savior, Shield, bless you, Adonai, Shield of Abraham. That's how they address God. And Jesus today, in Lord's Prayer, told us, taught us to how to address God? Simply, Father. <laughs> Actually, original Greek text, I don't know why they translate this way, but the original Greek text is that our Father. Simple as that, our Father. Our Father. And uh, this our doesn't mean Jew, actually. It is incredibly universal and inclusive. Because if you look at the verse 10, everyone who you know, asks and seeks and knocks, everyone, everyone comes to God in the name of Jesus. So it's a very universal. So, you know, today if you forget every, you know, the main actually thrust of today's passage, today's, you know, Jesus' teaching about uh, prayer, it's not how to pray, or why to pray, or, or you know, where to pray. The main thing about today's passage is uh, to, uh, to whom do you pray? To whom do you pray? To whom do you pray? If you look at the, today's text, verse 2, it begins with the Father. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. In the end with the verse 13, again with the Father. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What do you call things, this literary device that begins with the same thing and ends with the same thing? Okay, adult, be quiet. I'm going to ask a youth. Okay. Somebody's a youth? It was not a voice of a youth. <laughs> who said that? Oh, is it uh, Joshua? Oh man, I'm sorry. Joshua is a deeper voice than Hyun, I think. <laughs> inclusio. It is called inclusio. So once again, can you see how, how you know this is a key biblical literary device? So key thing about the Lord's Prayer is a fatherhood of God. We are praying to the Father, actually, Daddy Father, such an intimate you know, a uh, term to Father. The second feature of the Lord's Prayer, after we calling God as our Father, second thing is that this prayer, our prayer, is for God's glory and growth of his kingdom. So hallowed be your name and your kingdom come. Here is the first thing we have to remember. Prayer 
is not a means to realize my kingdom or my dream, is a prayer, is aligning myself, realigning myself with God's purpose for my life and this world. Prayer is not just about me. It's ultimately about me and God, and after all, it's about God. Alan Redpath is uh, one of the uh, old, you know, last generation, previous generation, great American uh, Bible teacher and pastor. I used many of his books. Alan Redpath says it best. He said, when we, before we, we can pray that, Lord, your kingdom come, we must be willing to pray, let my kingdom go. Let my kingdom go. So when you pray the Lord's Prayer, after you thank God being your Father, our Father, first thing we're supposed to pray that, uh, God, hear my kingdom, my plan, my dreams to you. And the, the, every day we say that this is not my day, but it's your day that I'm blessed to live. Help me to live your day for your kingdom. Let my kingdom go. Let your kingdom come to my life. That is the prayer. The third feature about the Lord's Prayer is the Lord's Prayer is a daily prayer. Jesus said, verse 3, give us each day our daily bread. You know, if you look at the rest of the today's text, you notice that a context or background of today's, even par today's parable too is a daily living condition in the ordinary Palestine neighborhood. Prayer is a daily habit. Prayer is not just an emergency measure. Of course, you can pray to God when you are in, in crisis, but prayer is a more than just a critical emergency measure. You know, imagine, once again, imagine somebody calls you only when they have a problem. I mean, you know, usually my children are away. But I mean, I'm glad to help them out. But, you know, once in a while, I scratch that, can they just call? You know, with just a regular, just a fellowship with us instead of, you know, oh, pray for my test, pray for whatever. You know, come on. You know? And uh, by the way, that's okay. Our God, our Father is not bothered by our emergency prayer. Come to him anytime. It's not like your pastor. <laughs> but I, this is a daily practice. About this is a daily practice. About emphasize is a daily prayer. And also, I, I really, you know, my idea is just spending time on the Lord's Prayer more than today, on the actual parable is this. If you struggle with praying, use the Lord's Prayer. Pray, sort of pattern, you know, make your prayer patterned after the Lord's Prayer with this perspective. And as I just highlight these key features, just to follow them and they'll confess and lay it out and praise God and so forth. And then let me tell you, it actually revolutionized my prayer. There's a pastor in Korea, very well known for the prayer, you know, he's a, you know as a prayer warrior. He basically prays a whole day, I mean, you know, I mean, two, three hours a day based on this Lord's Prayer. Now, there is a, a very interesting uh, 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 Christian in 20th century. Her name is, a, 
Simone Bay. Do we have a picture of Simone Bay? Yes. How many of you heard of name Simone Bay? Oh yes, thank God. Oh? Simone Bay, yeah. Simone Bay is a French Jewish Christian philosopher, mystic, and political activist. And uh, she was a Jew. But somehow when somehow when she was she had a lifelong, I mean she had a she was very weak and sick. And she lived only 34 years. But Simone Bay left her such an incredible influence in so many ways. And uh, Albert Camus, the author of uh, some of the high schoolers, you read the Albert Camus book? Anyone? Stranger, The Plague? Anyway. Albert Camus once said that uh, Simone Bay was the only great spirit of our times. And uh, she's a brilliant philosopher. And she was a Jew, but she met Christ. Through her own suffering, she battled with a chronic headache, migraine headache, throughout her life. And uh, I just want to say one more thing is that she was politically savvy and deep. She even hosted the Leon Trotsky. You know who Leon Trotsky? The founding of a Soviet army. And uh, they even had a debate, and then she told him that uh, uh, the com elite communist bureaucrat could be just as oppressive as a worst capitalist. And she was right. And Simone Bay was also uh, uh, quoted, read by many Christians who studied uh, the so-called spiritual theology or spirituality of a you know, Christian faith. But you know where she, she got, so she got this nickname, the Christian mystic, because her books are writing so deep. And uh, actually, I used some, many of her writing points into my own uh, doctoral dissertation. But guess what she said? How she became a mystic? It was not some kind of a, you know, a, a supernatural you know, experience. She said, I recite the Lord's Prayer in Greek. Well, she knew Greek when she was 12 years old. Genius. Every day before the work, I repeated it very often in my courtyard. Since that time, I made a practice of saving it through once each morning with absolute attention. If during the recitation of my attention wanders or goes to sleep in the minest degree, I begin again until I once, I have once succeeded in going through it with absolute pure attention. That's how she became a great Christian thinker and even mystic, and the wisdom and knowledge came. Lord's Prayer is a daily practice. And the last you know, feature that I want to point out, the Lord's Prayer, once again, I want to contrast with the Amida, the Jewish prayer, is the Lord's Prayer, the request for forgiveness, has a greater and wider scope than typical Jewish prayer. Typical Jewish prayer, their prayer for forgiveness or benediction, God's blessing of forgiveness in this way. Forgive us our Father, for we have sinned. Pardon us, our King, for we have willfully transgressed. For your pardon and, and uh, for you, pardon and forgive. Blessed are you, Adonai, the gracious one, who forgives a multitude of our transgressions. Jesus added additional uh, phrase. What was that? Forgive us. 
as forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. I want to be clear. Forgiving others is not a prerequisite or condition to receive God's forgiveness of our sin. I want to be clear. God's forgiveness of sin is unconditional. It's offered freely, graciously, sacrificially. But when Jesus said this, he was talking about not a condition, but a consequence. Powerful consequence of God's merciful forgiveness. So when we receive God's unconditional sacrificial forgiveness, we also give our forgiveness of others graciously. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what we should pray. Lord, forgive us so that we can forgive others. Now, about this uh, forgive others, in English, NIV is the same word. Forgive our sin as, as we forgive those uh, sins against us. So we think it's the same word, but actually in Greek, it's two different words. In our sin is a hamarate, a typical word for the sin, but Greek word for those who sinned against is uh, those who owe us a debt. Those who are indebted to us. Those who actually owe some money to us. So here the forgiveness is not just emotional forgiveness that, are oh, you hurt my feeling, but you know, I forgive you. It's, we're not talking about that. You owe me $500. And I'll give to you. I'll let, I'll let it go. New Testament scholars, they're talking about this is not just, this is a serious, serious exercise of God's grace in that it is breaking, disturbing, interrupting the well-known Greco-Roman practice of a patron system. You know, in, the, in that time, at that time, if you owe something and you cannot pay your debt, what happened? You have to be a slave of that person. You have to pay with your labor, with your life. This is a Roman patronage system. By the way, the word patron came from pater, which is a father. You know, it's a very patriarchal system. At the time, father is an absolute right over children. You know, not mother, father. Father decided even biological child become a real heir or not. When child was born, father decide live or die, or sell or Father can do anything with a child. Aren't you glad that you're born in the 21st century, children? Oh, you should say amen. But anyway, here Jesus is saying basically this. When you really experience God, there is a social consequence. Social, you know, this uh, theology is not about just uh, about, the, about the Bible or religious matter. It, has a, it brings out social economic transformation. When we really know true Father, the Heavenly Father, and experience His forgiveness and love, guess what happened? We become gracious and generous. And we no longer play, participate, this uh, Roman patronage system in the world. We stand far above social economic game of the world and we graciously release other people from their burden in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And uh, throughout the Christian history, we've seen that over and over again. 
when Wesleyan revival happened, 50 years later, British, they abolished the slavery 50 years ahead of American Civil War without shedding of blood. All prayer. Prayer revival has a great social, moral, economic transformation. Now, let me move on to, after Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer as a cornerstone of our prayer life, Jesus also gives now the parable about the persistence, uh, persistence, uh, perseverance of a prayer, or persistence of a prayer. And let's read responsibly this one. So brothers, we read first, and sisters follow. First five to eight. Brothers, let's go together. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, let me three loaves of bread. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me, the door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can get up and give you anything. Today's parable starts with a suppose, right? NIV, my favorite English translation, failed to capture the rhetorical power of Jesus' parable here. ESB has done better. I want you to see the ESB, how ESB starts. ESB starts the first five, the parable, which of you? It starts with a question, which of you? Who has a friend? will go to him at midnight and then ask you know, this favor and will not give to you. And then it ends, verse 7, with a question mark. This is a long rhetorical question mark. It's a rhetorical. So NIV did not a good job on this. So anytime you see NIV, Jesus says, suppose, it's actually original Greek text. It's a, which one of you? And it's a rhetorical question. And the answer to that is a, no one supposed to refuse a friend, a desperate friend, or whatever request. Now, parable of a midnight prayer is a very short, but it's a very confusing because of a one word. That is, they, their shameless audacity. In Greek, it's an anadeia, anaideia, or anaideia. In anaideia, it's a, literally simply means a shamelessness. It's an idol, it's a shame. And anytime you put A in front of Greek word, it reverses. It sort of nullifies. You know, a theist, and you put A, a theist, you don't believe God. You know, moral, all moral, you don't believe in moral, right? So, anai, anaidos, anaidos simply means lack of a shame. Shameless. And I be translated shameless boldness, shameless boldness. Now the, the, the context is this. Uh, back then in Jesus' time, somebody came to his house, middle of the night. Well, you say, rude. Well, we're talking about time there is no phone, no email, no texting, you know. And so, and also, we have to know the uh, in the hotel system, whatever the in the first century in Palestine, or it's been very primitive and actually very precarious. 
Many of them is actually uh, suspicious because it's, it's a place of uh, robbers and then, you know, these uh, uh, very uh, suspicious characters. So actually, the some, uh, uh, parable of a Good Samaritan we studied that a Good Samaritan paid the money, it is a kind of, you know, making sure that, a, you know, that the victim is well taken care of. So in is not, you know, uh, so uh, again, travel in the first century in Palestine was not common. You usually travel to Jerusalem temple. You don't travel freely like uh, today because uh, there's not much, you know, infrastructure for travel. You don't have a car, you don't have a man, not many people, you know, own horses and things like that. And there's no fast food restaurant. You ran out of whatever food you prepared, you, you know, you have to start. Travel is not easy. That means this friend came to another friend's house at midnight, unexpectedly, without notice, it must have something emergency happened. He had to go somewhere in the middle of the way, somehow he stopped by. And in the Middle Eastern culture, Han probably, you can ask Han, Hospitality is an incredible, impo important, ethical, social, 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 social ethics. If you welcome and uh, well treat your guests, someone of your visitor, someone that you know, this is a. Uh, it's not just. Uh, I mean, in America, you know, you can forgive, but back, it's unforgivable. It is a great social stigma. If the, you know, the reputation goes out, he doesn't welcome the guest. Who you see what happened to his social reputation? Every, you know, he, he become a, he, he, I mean, almost immoral. Now, so he had an emergency. He came and he doesn't have any food. Once again, shows how destitute people's living condition was back then. Now. Some New Testament commentator said this, you know, uh, uh, desperate uh, friend must went out his neighborhood, neighbors place, you know, outside outside of his house to help. There is no 7-Eleven. There is no, you know, Chick Fil A. And then somehow he must smell some somebody just, you know, cook the bread or something, or some. So he probably went to somebody who already felt that the best best house. And the answer, so he asked the uh, friend, please uh, lend me three loaf of bread. Three loaf of bread. And then his neighbor inside said, don't bother me. And this is a very unusual. Everybody knows this is a critical situation. You cannot say that. So, you know, this past week, it was a very difficult week for me to prepare this parable because I read several commentaries and actually spent almost, uh, uh, almost uh, six, six hours, six, six hours about this word, anaideia, because that's the only time that it appears in the New Testament. And then Biblical scholars, they all talk about who is a shameless here? Friend who refused to help or friends who is knocking on the door? 
And would you believe it? All the renowned scholars, they divided into exactly half. N.T. Wright said, it was who's not getting up is a shameless. And then the Bailey, that one that I show you the book, he said, no, it was the one who's knocking. Seriously. It shows at least one thing, not helping friend is a shameless. Now, I take the actually, I think it's a shamelessness in this parable actually means the friend who is seeking help. Because the following verse, we'll see that Jesus said, anyone, everyone who asks, receive, the one who seeks, finds, and one who knocks, door will be opened. So he's talking about Jesus connected right away to someone who constantly knocking and seeking and asking. So it has to be the friend who is a desperate. Now, the question is, whom do you have this kind of a shameless boldness? This is a shameless boldness. Do you have anybody in our church that you can call middle of the night and then, hey, come and help me. Your car breaks down and somehow, I'm sorry, only contact is that, you know, breakdown or accident or something, you have to call. Your wife is not there or your friend, family is not there. Who would you call? That is, I'm talking about shame. Wow, that's not even. Who can you count on for your shameless boldness? You can call any minute. I want to say, you can call me anytime. Seriously. I might not answer, I'm slowly answer, but I will definitely, definitely will respond. And then, you know, I'll, if, I, if I, you know, I sometimes I, I fall deep sleep, but I, I, I usually will, you know, respond. Jesus is talking about God is someone that you can boldly, even shamelessly can approach. That is what Jesus is, is you know, main message here. And I remember, I, 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 uh, I heard, uh, you know, I heard this, uh, actually, uh, example uh, a pastor sermon on this parable that uh, you know one father you know uh, laid out a child in the bed and then came and then ah five less than few minutes a child said dad can I have a cup of water and then, you know he, he said well you drank already why do you no go to bed. An angry voice responded. A couple minutes late, the child said, Dad, can I have a cup of water? And the father responded, If you don't go to sleep right now, I'm going to come and spank you. Silence. A couple minutes late, the child said, Dad, when you come into my room to spank me, can you bring a cup of water? <laughs> By then, most father knows that this kid is really thirsty, right? To whom we can really exercise a boldness. And Jesus saying that there's no shame. You can come to God anytime with any request. Knock on his door. You know, I mean, about the knocking on the door. Who can knock on my door anytime? I mean, I say you can knock on my door anytime, but you know, 
who can confidently knock on the door expecting I'll open the door, my children. They come middle of night, no matter what shape they can knock on the door. And you too, right? You can go to your parents' house and knock on their door and they will open the door. If they don't, let me know. You know but seriously, that's what Jesus is saying. Now, let me go to quickly to the third and final sort of conclusion of, uh, about the uh, overcoming quagmireable prayer. Jesus then say, verse 9 to uh, 13, about the promise of a prayer. And uh, let's read a resp- uh, let me read quickly since time is gone. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Verse 10. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds it. One who knocks, the door will be opened. Verse 11. Which of you, or this time they translate, and I be translated correctly. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for fish, will give him a snake instead? Fish and snake, they look like. That's why he's comparing or if you ask an egg, you will give more scorpion. When scorpion is curled up, it will look like an egg. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give a good gift to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the who? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. The third and final stepping stone is about the promise and power of a prayer. And here, Jesus is a comparing. Jesus is using lesser to greater. If a lesser person does this, how much more greater person will do? And here he's comparing the human father with the heavenly father. Human fathers, even though they are not perfect, but they still want to give the good gift to their children. Have you seen such a father? You know, I can't imagine. There's a one, I mean, I have a one example. You know, a few years ago, on my, when I was teaching at DVU, one day I heard that there was a traffic in my usual route, so I was doing a, a local drive, and I, and I, you know, in the middle, I had to, you know, I stopped by the Starbucks, and in front of me, there was a teenage high school girl and uh, with a, a private school uniform. I think it was a Hakkaday uniform. But anyway, she, one thing I noticed is she's a regular. They know her name before she even approached the cashier. And they know her stuff, and she's basically picking up the drink and breakfast sandwich there. And then so I've been, I saw, I'm just waiting and watching, and then when she walked out, it's one of my parents are waiting, she got into brand new Audi. And then drove away. And looking at that, at the time I was thinking about what kind of used car should I buy for my child. And then here is uh, somebody, I said, oh, thank God. I'm not spoiling my child like that. <laughs> it's a blessed that Mary will have a very a middle-class father. Because, I, you know, serious. So, you know, heaven, Jesus is saying this. If a human father gives us I mean, good gifts, guess what? Heavenly Father gives us best gifts. And then our question is, what is the best gift God gives us? What did Jesus say? The Holy Spirit is the best gift that God gave to us. The Heavenly Father gave to his children. It's the Holy Spirit. 
How many, you know, when I, uh, when I read this passage, Holy Spirit convicted me. Paul, when was the last time you prayed for your children to, to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Man alive, I was so ashamed. I prayed for many, many blessings for my children, but I don't remember a time that I prayed for the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. Shame on me. I missed out the best gift that God has for my children was the Holy Spirit. And I missed it. I gave, I pray for good grade, you know, good job, you know, good boyfriends. I missed the best gift. Who is a Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit is the best gift because it is the, you know, the true gift that continually gives us the peace and courage and wisdom of God so that we can really live above the challenges and the conditions and circumstances of our life. You know, when Jesus, first thing Jesus said after resurrection, in John chapter 20, 21, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And then Jesus said what? He breathed on them, said that receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the reason Christ, the first thing he gave to the whole disciples, was a Holy Spirit. And then he said that if you forgive anyone's sin, their sins are forgiven. But if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. You know what it means? Actually, it means uh, when we have received the Holy Spirit, we can forgive other people. Because the Holy Spirit reveals God's forgiving heart to each one of us. So once again, we can forgive other people. And the only thing that the Holy Spirit, only person that the only sin that the Holy Spirit cannot forgive is those who resist God's forgiveness. So here, don't take it liberally that, oh, I, have a Holy, I can have a privilege to forgive, not to forgive. No. Only people that we cannot forgive is the people who don't receive God's forgiveness in Christ. And then Romans 8.26, Paul, apostle, experienced the Holy Spirit. He said this way, in the same way, Holy Spirit help us in our weakness. Holy Spirit help us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but Spirit himself intercedes for us through the wordless groans. And he who searches our heart knows the mind of the Spirit because Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So remember this. When we pray, you're not praying alone. Holy Spirit is praying with you. You are receiving full attention of Almighty God, our Heavenly Father. I want to end the sermon with a couple quotes. The number one quote is this. F.V. Meyer, uh, English Baptist pastor and a friend of D.L. Moody, once said this. The greatest treasury of a life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. Treasury of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. Along with that, I want to leave you this word. Ian e. Bound. Ian e. Bound was a lawyer, but who responded to the end. He became actually, he wrote uh, several volumes on prayer. And I actually have all of them, and I read, you know, uh, some of them. And Ian e. Bound once said this story of a great Christian achievement is a history of answered prayer. The story of a great Christian achievement 
is a history of an answered prayer. And I want to add my comment to this statement. The history of an answered prayer comes from history of persistently asking prayers. And then looking back, you know, my age, my age I, you know, I have several book projects, and one of them is actually, the, in a few months ago, it dawned on me, I should write down all the major answered prayers in my life to bear witness that God has been faithful to my life. And also, I'm writing uh, my pastoral journal about forests. It's all based, it's all, nothing but an answered prayer. We are here because of God's faithfulness and graciousness to answer our prayers. We talk about, we pray, we talk about the house church. You know what house church is? It's not a, some kind of a human, small group uh, uh, strategy. If you think that's a house church, you fail. You, house church is, is all about praying. And the good house church, for me, good house church meeting is that the, the meeting ends with a the real concerted prayer that everybody feel, felt that the presence of the Holy Spirit because that's what Jesus promised us when we pray you know, together, two or three in his name, he will be there and the Holy Spirit will be there. And when Luke talks about this, he's not talking out of, a, you, know, you know, he's talking just the Holy Spirit in some kind of abstract way. He experienced the Holy Spirit in Book of Acts. He's the one who wrote the Book of Acts. He knew that the power of the Holy Spirit in the followers, lives of the followers of the Jesus Christ. So house church shepherds and the core members remember. Make sure that there is ample time to pray. Maybe you will sort of time manage better that you will have a good prayer. Don't, some of the meetings I've been to, you kind of wrap up prayer. Oh, we, 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 did, we have a time to do everything except to pray. That is not good meeting. Everything falls and rises on prayer. Prayers outlive the lives of those who utter them. Outlive a generation, outlive an age, outlive the world. Prayer outlives everything. Because God who hears our prayer, he is eternal and is a good God, never forgets his children's you know, crying, and he will answer to our prayers. Today, our dedication song is a trust in you. And uh, uh, praise team, please come and prepare. And uh, before we sing this song as our prayer for dedication, I want us to uh, meditate on these uh, words. Trust in you. It's, it reflects, uh, I chose this song because it's, that's exactly you know, the passage is about. Letting go of every single dream. I laid each one down at your feet. Every moment of a wandering never changes what you see. I try to win this world, I confess, my hands are weary, I need your rest. Mighty warrior, king of fight, no matter what I face, you are by my side. First thing about prayer is a laying down, resting in God, trusting the Father. And then second uh, stanza is, when you don't move the mountain, I refrain, I'm needing you to move. Move what? Move my faith, move my heart, move my trust deeper and stronger. 
When you don't part the waters, I wish I could walk through. When you don't give answers, as I cry out to you, I will trust, I will trust, I will trust in you. You know, unanswered prayer is not God's denial. Sometimes it's God's delay. Even if it's a denial, that is for our own good. So, you know, unanswered prayer shouldn't stop you. You should sort of direct you to deeper prayer or different prayer. Many of my prayers, God kind of channeled and worked at the end. I found out God's answer was better than what I asked for. You know what tomorrow brings. There is not a day ahead that you have not seen. So let all things be my life and breath. I want you want, I want what you want, Lord, and nothing less. That is the ultimate prayer. I pray at the end of every prayer, we have to have a silence and say, Lord, all after all this prayer, it's not my will, but your will be done. Let's pray.